Welcome to The Build Up by Alibaba Australia New Zealand, a bite-sized podcast series here to demystify the journey of entrepreneurship with in-real-life advice from industry experts who are in the business of the build. In the midst of creating entrepreneurial projects of their very own and finding their way in the world of biz. Learn, laugh and dream big with good humans doing great work and get inspired to build an entrepreneurial journey of your own. This podcast is an initiative of Alibaba Australia New Zealand, the global technology company and is produced by The Peers Project, where progressive podcast dreams are brought to life. Hey Builders, Michelle here, and welcome back to the second episode of The Build Up by Alibaba Australia New Zealand, a guide to finding your way in the world of biz. In this episode, we'll be exploring the importance of educating your customer, taking inspiration from the Chinese proverb, teach a person to fish, or This episode will highlight that teaching a person a useful skill can be more beneficial in the long run than filling a need for them temporarily. We'll dive deep into how you can provide value to your customer by not just providing a product, but also providing a service built on education, inspiration, and strong, genuine relationships. Today, I'm joined by Ali Terai, CEO and co-founder of Future Golf, whose mission is to grow the game of golf by focusing on the virtues of connection and community. Since launching in 2014 from a simple Facebook post, Future Golf are now one of the world's largest golf communities and have revolutionised golf by offering their members everything from mini golf, X golf, top golf, all the way to Australia's best public and private courses and clubs. In 2019, Ali was awarded the Telstra Business Award. Welcome, Ali. It's good to be here. Uh, Look, I'm so happy to have you here. Please take the mic and share with us in your own words who you are, what you do and how you do it. Awesome. So as you said, I'm Ali. I'm the founder and CEO of Future Golf, which is ultimately a golf community and pathway for non-traditional golfers. Uh, We've seen a little boom, especially with the lockdown recently, where golf has had a huge spike in interest just because it was one of two or three things that people could do during the pandemic. And I think it's awesome that Future Golf can now also be one of the key players in our space to help people get into a game that was previously a little bit hard to access and intimidating. So that's what I do. Why do I do it? I think the big one was passion. Obviously, I think that was something for a very long time where I wanted to spend time and energy and focus on doing things that really excited me, that uh, lit you up every day. And so far for the last six years, this has definitely ticked that box. So as much as I try to get into other areas and arenas, uh, the golf keeps drawing us back and it's been an amazing journey doing future golf. Oh, I absolutely love it. And you and I have talked before so much about the business and your journey and your passion around that. You know, why didn't future golf already exist? Yeah, I think it was one of those things where tradition and just the way that it's always been done, that that's something that golf has faced for a number of years. It's always been 18 holes. It's had this sort of image where it's got the big gates and the clubhouse and you have to wear college shirts and do all these bits and pieces, which is great. Like the tradition side is awesome. But I think one of the things that was missing is it was really hard if you didn't have family members and you weren't already embedded in the golf industry or in that space to actually access the sport. So I created it 
purely because I needed that product and that service. And I knew that if I had friends that had never tried golf before, they would really struggle to get into the sport as well. And this was our solution. So uh, I think the reason why it didn't exist was there was just this notion that young people won't play golf. And that was the thing that we had to debunk. And I think it's just one of the big things when you look at innovation, where if you're thinking that um, the only reason that we haven't created this thing is just because it hasn't been done before, it's usually probably a decent um, opportunity to explore. And we've seen it plenty of times, right? Whether it's social networks and yeah, whatever. Mm. I love that. And explore it, you did. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, as you said, it's been it's been years and years now. You started it in 2014. You know, what motivates you to keep building now that it's six years on and we've had COVID and whatnot? Yeah. How do you keep motivated? Yeah, I think uh, the motivation comes a lot with the people. And I always look at entrepreneurship as a game. I think that you know, you've got the startup stage and then you'll try to mature a little bit and then you look at scale and there's just so much to learn and explore in in this game of entrepreneurship. It's To me, it's nearly like an art form where you're always sharpening this skill set. You're, you're trying different things. You're negotiating different deals. You're working and hiring with new people. You're trying new strategies. Like It's a never-ending puzzle to be solved that you just can't win a bit like playing golf. So I think they tie in pretty well and that's what keeps us going. And I've always been of the belief that if it ever got boring or it felt like this is too easy, which I just could never see it happening, uh, I'd hang up the hat and then exit out. But for the moment, it's still amazing and it's still very energizing. It's interesting. And that's the beauty of the space. It's no single day is the same. Mm. And what piece of the puzzle are you currently focused on like creating and cultivating and building? Yeah, I think at the moment, one of the big ones that's running through our head is user experience. That's probably, we're technically a tech company in many ways, but we have, I would say, relatively basic tech when you compare it to the big tech players, because we've always really focused on partnerships and our members and just sort of getting the foundations right. So I think that user experience side, tech integration, and then just seeing how how this model can potentially scale sustainably and over a long period of time. So, so they're probably the big things that my head's at. And also just building um, a much uh, larger team, I guess, and a really talented team, which we've been very lucky and fortunate to have already so far. Mm. Amazing. And, you know, what challenges come with that? You know, when you think of building teams and, and people working together well, et cetera, how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you tackle that? Yeah, I think, I think the, the people, every entrepreneur will say this, the people component is the most complicated and it's, it's the hardest one to figure out, especially when I look at something like Future Golf, where we generally work with friends. And nearly every single one of our employees has been a member or a mate over the last six years. So the plus side of that is that you're always working with somebody that you really get along with, you care about, you're really aligned with, but business does get difficult at times and there's, you know, things change. So they're just, I think it's part of it. Again, it's part of the game. And I will also look at it like high performance sports teams where we've got this vision and future golf's a thing that we all serve and you're always, I guess, as the coach or the entrepreneur trying to find the best people that you can for that given time. And, you know, even when we look at our strategy, it's always like, well, how do we turn this into a championship year? How do we keep improving? How do we keep that performance level where we need it to be? And, and that's kind of the approach that we take. But just being clear with what good performance looks like and what good culture looks like and what our values are, I think that helps as well. Mm. 
how can we get clearer on our values and kind of what we've set out to do? And it can be so confusing, especially in the early days. I think values, so much of it's around self-awareness and just having clarity around what it is that you're about. And especially as a new business, I think that's really hard to define who you are and what you'll be doing because you're still trying to figure out whether what you have is of value and whether it serves people. I think with ours, it was a little bit easier to get that sorted just because it's golf. It was, we're passionate about it. We didn't have to go and write a really strong value statement. It kind of just <clears throat> happened with our actions and what we believed in. So that was, yeah, I just keep going back. I think it's just around really spending time and digging into, well, why are you doing this? Uh, what sort of themes does it tick on? Like, so if I look at Future Golf, a lot of our themes are around connection, community, growth, uh, partnerships. So if we are acting in alignment with that, generally speaking, I think we're in alignment with our values. Amazing. So I'm, I'm loving this, Ali. Now, I want us to understand a bit more about who Future Golf is for. You know, you mentioned that a lot of you and your mates and stuff, you all started it, but, you know, who is it exactly for? Yeah, so when we started, it was for, I guess, younger golfers. So the, it was called Gen Y Golf when we first began it, which was quite interesting because we didn't even know exactly what Gen Y meant. There's no, no real defined age group for it, hence the rebrand where even we were getting confused, like, are we Gen Y? Are we not Gen Y? What's going on here? So, but that was the niche. It was finding the gap. I remember reading, I think, the 22 immutable laws of marketing. And it was like, find a gap and find a space where you can occupy it, where there isn't really a mover. And that was the space that was available at that time. And it obviously suited us. So that, that was who it was for. Now I'm looking at it and I look at our broader vision. It's about anyone who's a non-traditional golfer. So that could be, we're looking at things like women's participation and gender equality is a really big thing in golf. Looking at family golf, if you think about it, golf's generally played with four people, but you very, very rarely see um, a family out there with kids and parents. There's, there's socioeconomic diversity. There's multiculturalism. There's all abilities golf. So if I'm looking at that and I, if I feel like in five to 10 years time, we really ticked our mission, it would be future golf representing just that huge cross section of our society that you'd essentially term the non-traditional golfer. So fascinating. How can we get clearer on who our customer actually is? Yeah, I think target markets, I'm such a big fan around creating passion-driven businesses. So if I'm looking at it, I'm looking at, well, would I use this product? And is this something that I need? And then can I find another 500 or a thousand people that would? And the reason why I'm big on that is probably a couple of reasons. One, I'm not all that fussed about the commercial or financial implications of a business. I think it's more around playing the game and the actions that you take. So I'd much rather have a smaller or less profitable organization that I'm aligned with, but I know that there's a product or service there that I really do believe in and that I would use myself. So I think if you are an entrepreneur and you're looking at starting something, think about what's something that you currently want right now where the need isn't being met and you can't find it and then build it yourself. Because if you want it, there's probably a decent chance that there's somebody else out there that also wants that same thing. Look, Ali, now we're going to move on to have a bit of a discussion around today's Chinese proverb, and that is teach a person to fish. So Ali, what does this message mean to you? And do you agree that educating your customer makes a better customer? 
Yeah, for sure. I think I just love that proverb for, for starters. It's, you know, the, I use one that's kind of similar, which is uh, it's related to the chopping down of the tree. You know, you're better off sharpening the saw instead of just chopping away at it. And, and I think that when, when you look at it, whether it's educating your customer, your team or yourself, uh, it's always important because I think that's where improvement happens. It's where growth happens. So like you can sit there and you can do very tactical moves that are surface level, but they probably won't have the impact of what really solid education, I think context will. So if you're looking at the game of entrepreneurship, it's easy to say, all right, I've got this amazing idea. I'm just going to get it out there. But I think that you also need the additional layer of, well, what do I now need to learn? Where's my knowledge gap between the outcome that I want? Because you can have the vision and the idea, but if you don't actually know how, which is where I think the knowledge lies, it's going to be a lot more difficult to execute on whatever that vision is. So say, for example, if you're starting out and you've got this new concept, it's like, well, what's most important? Do you need to learn about marketing? Do you need to learn about product development? Do you need to learn about distribution? And then how do you then go about learning that? And if you go back to the analogy, it's like, well, how do I learn how to fish in that arena? And who can teach me? Because I guarantee somebody's walked that path before you whether it is creating a new product, delivering a service. And then generally speaking, a couple of good books, um, a half an hour chat with a mentor that's done it before, doing a course online, it'll give you 80% of the knowledge that you need for that. And then it's about going and trying it out. Go to go fish. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to us a bit about a time where you had to go fish. You had to figure it out. You had to learn it, you know, I remember, you know, in past Mm. conversations you and I have had, you talk a lot about mentorship and the importance of that. Can you talk to us us a little bit about a time where you had to seek out a mentor and you really had to learn those fundamentals? Yeah, for sure. Well, well, even just recently, Mm. navigating the pandemic. So I've been really fortunate with the network that we have and the community that we've got. A lot of people are willing to help us out. If you say, hey, are you interested in a round of golf? Do you want to have a little chat? And it's been phenomenal. That was happening throughout the pandemic. I had a group of four or five people that essentially ended up becoming like an external team that I could go with with problems that were quite complex because I think the if there was a silver lining to the pandemic, it's that you've got such a limitation of the number of moves that you can play, but you then have to play those moves and find these little gaps that just sort of get you through whatever that period is. And, and without, without, without the help of those mentors that were working at some of the biggest organisations that had the resources and some of the smartest minds there, I think we really would have struggled to navigate through that process. And they were just helping us out in everything, like whether it's streamlining operations, whether it's restructuring certain parts, whether it's looking at changing certain partnerships and deals, innovating the product. So again, just ideas that I couldn't really see that would help you with connecting the dots. So, so that's one example. And another one I remember was just early days when we started Future Golf was finding this book called The Product Launch Formula. It came up as a little ad. It looked like something very snake oily. I clicked on it, but it had like one tip around how to launch a product. And I remember we had maybe 50 members at that time. I read this book and I think we got 90 members in a night. And it nearly broke the business because uh, people were away. But, but again, this is the power of finding new knowledge and then I think implementing that. Uh, it's amazing what, what I think it can do. It's just highly recommend investing in learning how to fish. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You fully embrace today's proverb. And I, yeah. I've got a couple final questions for you. So the first one is, you know, you talk about just it can be something so little as just reading a book and how much it can transform your business overnight. You know, for, for everyone out there listening, 
how can we be more open to learning and mm-hmm. to growing and to actually putting ourselves in uncomfortable positions so that we can actually see some of that change? I'll go back to alignment again. I think that it's really hard to do, learn something when you don't know why you're learning it and what's the point of learning it. So if we look at the school system, I think this is one of the big problems with school. If you're teaching a kid that you need to learn about history and geography and they've just got no context or interest in why they're learning this, no wonder they're disengaged. So I think it's the same thing with this. Whereas if I look at, I did a business degree in my 20s and I was so disengaged because I didn't really know why I was learning about strategic plans and all these big companies. Whereas now when I'm reading and I'm learning, I'm so attuned to it because I'm like, I'm literally going to have to use this and I've got somewhere to implement it. So that would be probably the biggest thing is learn things that you're either curious about right now or that you can act on and implement, whether it's in work, it's business, it's in school, whatever it is. I love it. So on the other side of things, you know, if we look at our customers and our audience, you know, you said that for you, it's your friends and mates. And now that obviously your community has grown to so much bigger than that, but how can we keep them engaged, enlightened and kind of educated on, on our industry and kind of what we're, how we're trying to help them? Yeah, I think, I think it's really, it's a lot easier when you're small because you can nearly have a personal relationship with um, each customer nearly. So I think that's one of the hardest things when you're looking at scaling it and you look at the big brands like Alibaba, like when they do it at scale, that's the stuff that I'm really interested in. It's like, how do you get that community and that branding and that consistency? And so I think that branding plays a really key role in that education, the consistency in the branding. But then it's also just trying to find little moments where you can wow your customer and just try to do the right thing by them. I think that's that, that's really it. it's just building relationships, but yeah, building it at scale. Even we're finding it as our community's grown from say a hundred to five hundred to thousands now. It's like how do you get that connection? And I think tech plays a big role. You know, content, video. We have lots of events, which is an opportunity for everyone to connect. So I think these touch points um, that align with your business, it's it's what makes it happen. I love it, Ali. Well, thank you so much. This has been so insightful. So where can people learn more about you and Future Golf? Awesome. So we've got Future Golf's website, which is futuregolf.com.au. I've got a website as well, which is alitarai.com. So people can check those out and then just on all the normal socials. I love it. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again. On the subject of connection and community, they say it takes a village, and our podcast partner, Alibaba, is no different. Alibaba operates various businesses and also derives support from their digital economy from the businesses and services of related and affiliated companies. A major business in their digital economy is Alibaba Cloud. Alibaba Cloud was established in 2009 and is the digital technology and intelligence backbone of Alibaba Group. It offers a complete suite of cloud services to customers worldwide, including elastic computing, database, storage, network virtualization services, large-scale computing, security management and application services, big data analytics, a machine learning platform, and IoT services. Alibaba Cloud is China's largest provider of public cloud services by revenue and definitely worth checking out if you're looking to expand your business into the Chinese market. 
Thanks for listening to The Build Up by Alibaba Australia New Zealand, a guide to finding a way in the world of biz. Before you go and start building, hit subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast helpful. That way, more people like you are able to find us and listen too. To keep up with all of the exciting events happening in the world of global biz, follow Alibaba on Instagram and Facebook at alibaba.anz and subscribe to the Alibaba Made Easy email list at the link in this episode's description. Thanks again for listening. And remember to never stop building your dreams.